Good morning, church. How are you doing? All right. You waked up in the past few minutes. That's good, good. We're excited to uh, be here today. Happy December already. Does that seem crazy to anybody else? It seems like this year went by really quick. But we are in December now, which means uh, a few things. Normally, it'd be sad that the uh, football season is over, but hey, we can celebrate this time. Uh, We got a couple other things. Of course, here at First Church, what it means to be in December is we start looking ahead towards the next year. And so, as the groups guy, I want to give a quick little plug. If you aren't uh, involved in a class or a group, then uh, now is the time to start thinking about that for next semester. I encourage you to do that. Um, a few other things uh, that December means is that we are in full swing of the Christmas season. So uh, I have got my, uh, uh, my Christmas and uh, St. Patrick's Day shirt on and uh, am in the Christmas mood here at the uh, Parker house in uh, my own house. We're excited as well. Uh, we've already got our Christmas tree up and the decorations. And actually this year, uh, for the first time in a handful of years, um, I got my uh, lazy keister off the couch and put Christmas lights on the outside of the house. So dad of the year. Yes, I am excited about that. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of an accomplishment for me. So anyway, we are uh, excited about Christmas. Uh, Hope you are too. Hope you are at all the campuses, everybody online. Um, We are uh, excited to uh, move forward uh, this month. But I want to ask you, what are you hoping for this Christmas? We all usually hope for something at Christmas time, don't we? Uh, especially our kids, any of you who are parents or have had little kids, you know that every year they get really excited around this time. They're you know, looking for something. My, uh, my own kids, my oldest son, who's usually on the ball, he's had his Christmas list made since like August or something like that. Uh, my middle son, uh, about a week ago, it was funny, he put his together, he scribbled it all down on a piece of paper like about this big and... Um, about a week ago, uh, I was, I think I was in the living room, and, and he wanted to make sure uh, that we didn't miss his Christmas list, right? And so I wasn't really paying attention a whole lot what was going on until I look over, and there's my son. He's standing in the doorway of my bedroom, and he's got a thumbtack and his little Christmas list, and he's trying to push pin it into the door frame of my bedroom. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just... Just hand it to me. It'll be okay. You don't have to go poking holes or anything. But he wanted to make absolute sure that I didn't miss it, right? That I was going to find this thing because he didn't want to miss out. And so I ask you the question, what are you hoping for this Christmas? We all hope for something, right? I mean, I think at the root of it all, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your background is, I think that we all want to find in our hearts what makes us happy. And people will spend their whole lives in pursuit of happiness, right? It's one of our inalienable rights. We'll we'll look for it all of our lives. And people, they'll look for it in a lot of different places. We know that. Um, Some people will try and find happiness in uh, uh, money and wealth and just collecting more stuff, the bigger house, the nicer car, uh, the bigger bank account, whatever it is, we try and collect things in hopes that that's going to make us happy. Uh, some people look for it in uh, power or in this sense of identity or, or respect from others, and so we'll try and climb the top of the ladder in hopes that that's going to somehow bring us some happiness or in pleasure or whatever it is. People will spend their lives looking for what makes them happy at the root of it all. I think that we are trying to find joy. And to be honest with you, I don't think that this is necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, 
Uh, in fact, uh, I think the reason that we're all searching for joy is because I think this is a, des- a desire that is instilled in all of us by our Creator. Whether you believe in, follow Jesus or not, if we are all made in the image of God, then I think this is something that God has put in all of our hearts, this desire for joy. In fact, we know that we delight in God and God delights in us. And we look forward to the coming day when there is no more pain or suffering, but only endless joy. So the problem, I think, is not necessarily in our desire, but instead where we sometimes seek it. But I want to tell you this. Whatever it is today, whatever it is that you are looking for, I want to encourage you with this. If you want to find joy, look for Jesus. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, our Heavenly Father, we love you, and we just we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who you gave to us because of your love for us. And God, in this season, as we lift him up and we celebrate how you sent him to us, Emmanuel, God with us, God, we set our hearts and our eyes on him. I pray that in these next few moments, as we open up your word, you will open our hearts and our minds. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And as we launch into this new series, uh, Joyous, as you saw there uh, on the screen, we're going to take a look into the very first Christmas uh, and some of the responses that it brought. Uh, Christmas brings out a lot of different responses from different people, right? Uh, We all think about the Christmas uh, season a little bit differently. Um, I don't know what uh, traditions that you have in your own house, in your own family, or what kinds of Christmas movies you love to watch, Uh, but one that is a staple for many people is the Charlie Brown Christmas. A lot of people love that and watch it every year. And there's a a little clip in here, a little scene in this uh, movie that I think highlights how how differently some of us respond to Christmas. And so we've got a a little scene here. Why don't you watch this real quickly? be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Along the Charlie Brown in the world, you're the Charlie Brownie. I think I would be a little afraid to know what somebody meant by saying that I was the Jared Parkeryist, but uh, you get the idea of what he's saying. We all respond a little bit differently to Christmas, don't we? For some people, um, it brings delight. Uh, Several days ago, I asked Laura, my wife, uh, what her uh, first reaction is when we think about Christmas. And like many of you, she thought about the joy of the season, the joy that Christmas brings. We uh, think about things like uh, going and uh, watching Christmas or looking at Christmas lights or uh, having hot chocolate or, you know, fireplace. We think about the different foods of this season or maybe spending time with family, different traditions that we have. But for many of us, we think about Christmas and it brings a sense of delight. For some of us, when we think about Christmas, it brings stress. Right, moms? Yes? 
because you think about Christmas and while everybody else is, is looking forward to the food, you're trying to make it. While everybody's looking forward to Christmas presents, you're trying to go shopping and wondering how are we going to do all this with the finances, all the different things that come along with Christmas. And for some people, it brings a sense of stress. But also for other people, sometimes the season of Christmas can bring pain. Uh, this is one of the seasons, actually, uh, that depression and suicide rates go a little bit higher because for a lot of people, this isn't always a season of joy. Maybe it brings up some difficult memories for you when you were growing up, or perhaps it's difficult because you know at Christmas dinner you're going to be sitting next to an empty seat of somebody who won't be there anymore. Christmas is sometimes difficult. We all respond to Christmas a little bit differently. But I think that what God desires to bring to us this Christmas is the same thing that he brought 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born and the angel announced to the people, he said, he said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. God desires to bring us joy. And yet, just like today, not everybody responded the same way to the very first Christmas. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you want to join along, uh, I encourage you to get your Bibles, your devices, and uh, join us there. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat nearby you somewhere. So go ahead and uh, grab that, and we're going to uh, look through this uh, f familiar story for many of us. Now, what's just happened here in the Gospel of Matthew is uh, we see that uh, the announcement has been made. God has come through the angel Gabriel to Mary and announced that she is going to conceive and give birth to a son. And so uh, we know that story, all that happens. And then finally, at the end of chapter 1, it says that they have given birth to him and given him the name Jesus. And that's where we pick up with this story. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now we get to pause here real quickly in the story, and it kind of begs the question, who are these guys? We don't run into a lot of people today and like, hi, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a magi. So who are these people, right? Uh, and to be honest, there's a lot of mystery and kind of intrigue surrounding these guys. We don't really know a whole lot. You can go all the way back through Christian history and even see back to the early fathers debating or kind of wondering, who are these people? Are these guys kings, like we read in some translations? Or are we singing that famous Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient, right? So are these guys kings? Well, probably not exactly, but there's some element of truth in this. Or are these guys wise men, like many of us are familiar with growing up in the Christmas pageant where they came in with their robes, you know, their sparkling robes, and were next to the nativity up on the stage? Are they, are they wise men or advisors? Well, that's probably got a lot of truth to it, most likely. They came from afar, they had a lot of wealth, and they were probably connected to nobility somehow, and probably, uh, probably acted as advisors to kings or some sort of royalty. Or are they just simply magi? Are they astrologers? Well, we see some of that. They saw the stars, so do they look to the stars? Is that what they are? Well, uh, there's a lot of different things that we wonder about these people. 
And where exactly are they from? We know that they're from the east somewhere, which means they're not from Jerusalem, they're not Jewish, but what country did they come from? How did they know about Jesus? Are there even three of them as our tradition holds? Well, there's a lot of things that the text simply doesn't say, and so we don't know. We can deduce a few things from the text itself, and based on some history, we can make a couple guesses, but at the end of the day, a lot of that is merely speculation. But the only thing that we really know for sure is that they ain't from around these parts. But that is good news, as we'll see here in a little bit. So let's pick back up in the text in verse 3. It says this. It says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now they're quoting here from an Old Testament passage in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and I find it interesting that these guys, these religious leaders, these teachers, they know exactly what to expect. They know the Old Testament, they know the prophecies, they know these by heart. In fact, they probably have most all of these memorized. And so when they ask, hey, where is this guy supposed to be born? They can instantly go right to it, and they know it. And yet, somehow, somehow they missed the sign that he was here. And as we will also see, that's not good news. Even though they knew the scriptures, somehow they were still able to miss what was actually happening. And so we'll get back to that in a little bit here. But as we continue on in verse 7, it says this. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And of course, now if you know this story very well, you know that Herod didn't really want to go and worship him. This is really only a pretext. Herod didn't want to worship him. Herod actually wanted to kill him. And so I have to ask the question, why? Like, why would anybody do that? We may respond differently to a two-year-old. It might not be your first response to uh, respond to a two-year-old or a one-year-old or a toddler to go and worship him, but, you know, hopefully you wouldn't want to kill him. So why does he want to do this? What's going on here? Well, uh, we can see a few things. One, uh, in this time, people looked at uh, astro uh, astrological signs, signs in the stars. Oftentimes, it uh, was accepted that these could be signs of warnings against the death of a king. And so Herod, when he hears this news that there's a sign in the stars and the king has been born, Herod, who is a king, doesn't take to this sign very well. In fact, we know a few other things from history that Herod actually probably wasn't even the rightful king. He was at best only half Jew, and he came to this place by buying it, by weaseling his way in through the powers in Rome. And we know that he was very, actually, jealous, very vindictive. And it wasn't outside of his nature to put people away who threatened his power, who threatened his kingdom. And oftentimes he would have people killed, even people close to him that might challenge his rightful place or what he thought was his rightful place as the king. And the sad part in this is that as Herod 
pursued building his own kingdom, he missed the real king. Let's pick back up in the story. It says that after they had heard the king, they went on their way. This is the Magi. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of him, ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I love in this text the response to the Magi who had left so much and traveled many, many, many miles at danger to themselves. They come here and they finally find Jesus, and they are overjoyed. Now, the text here gets the word pretty well right, but not the full tone. What it says is that the Magi were overjoyed. Now, what it actually says is that they rejoiced. Uh, more specifically, what Matthew literally wrote down here, I love it, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. He uses as many words as he possibly can to describe the great joy that was filled in them. They were happily happy with great happiliness. It's a word, don't worry about it. Like they were just bursting o- over, they were, there was just flowing out of them. They couldn't contain this joy. Why could they not contain this joy? Because they found the king. Which brings us to our first point. Joy is for everyone. Joy is for everyone. About 12 or 13 years ago, my wife and I first moved out to Denver, Colorado, where we spent a couple years there. And uh, they don't always have, if you've traveled much, you know, oftentimes they'll have different kinds of stores or restaurants or whatever in different areas of the country. And so they had the same there, some different things we hadn't seen before or maybe heard of but hadn't got to uh, be a part of. And so as we're there, I remember one time we saw that they had a Costco. Now, we've got Sam's Club and, you know, things like that here, um, but I'd never actually been to a Costco before, and so I don't know if we needed something in particular, um, but us being the frugal people that we were, more likely cheap because we were in grad school and didn't have any money, we decide we're going to go to Costco and see, you know, if there's something we can save money on. And so we go into the store, and as you go in through the first doors, you know, you enter in, and you just see these rows and rows of shelves, and our eyes were like, you know, as huge as all the, you know, products they had on the shelves and we were just like, whoa, this is amazing. We start looking around and you see on the little tag and you're like, man, we could save a whole bunch of money if we buy these things in bulk. And so we were just really excited about all the different things that we could get. Well, what we didn't know at the time, because we were young and naive, or perhaps maybe I should say more young and more naive than we are now, is that if you want to buy anything at Costco, you have to be a member. We didn't know this at the time. We found this thing out the hard way, maybe the embarrassing way, if you will. And all of a sudden, our hopes and our dreams were dashed against the rocks. uh, Our our hope of future eternal bliss and happiness at buying green beans in a barrel all of a sudden went away because we weren't ever going to be able to participate in this. We weren't going to spend the money on a membership. So since we didn't have a card, we realized that we weren't members. We kind of didn't belong there. And that's the way a lot of things in life work, right? You got to have a card, you got to be a member, you got to know somebody to sit at that lunch table or whatever it is. You got to be on the inside, right? And that's what I love about this story. Because in this story, we see that the first people to seek out 
and fall down at the feet of Jesus in worship were not Israelites. They weren't part of the club. They weren't part of God's people, but they were pagans from far away who saw the signs of the king and left everything to come and find Jesus. You see, the gospel isn't just good news for the inner circle, but the gospel is good news for all. And joy is for everyone. That's why you've heard the phrase around here that everyone is welcome because nobody's perfect and anything is possible. Joy is for everyone, and that is good news. Uh, I love in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, uh, Jesus is talking. He's actually speaking mostly to a bunch of religious leaders at the time, and he tells them this parable about himself being the good shepherd. And in verse 16, he says these words, and they're beautiful. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Joy is for all. In fact, later on, the Apostle Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians, and he writes this letter to a church who's kind of broken or torn in two. There's the, there's the Jewish Christians, and then there's the Gentile Christians, and they're struggling with this idea of reconciling one another. There's these, there's these racial and ethnic and religious barriers between the two of them, and they're struggling to come together as one body. And Paul encourages them in these words. In chapter 2, starting at verse 17, he says this, about Jesus, he says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. See, through Scripture, we see God's heart for the outsider. This goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everywhere we go, we find God's heart for the outsider, His promise for all nations. And we can all have membership because He adopts us all into His family, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from. This is good news. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's reason to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. But the story continues on. It finishes up in this last verse or so. It says, Then they opened their treasures, this is the Magi, and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now if you follow this story, you see that Herod never found Jesus. And that's either good news for Jesus' perspective because he wanted to kill him or bad news for Herod's perspective because he really never got to meet the king. And history tells us that he died not long after this whole incident in what was probably a very bitter and painful end. And it doesn't seem that Herod ever found joy. And not only him, but the religious leaders never went to find him. They never sought out Jesus, and it seems that despite their knowledge of the Messiah to come, despite their familiarity with the Old Testament, uh, with the Old Testament scriptures, 
Apparently, they were simply fine with life as usual in their own pursuits for power and wealth and whatever it be, their own traditions. They never went to pursue him, which, strangely enough, brings us to the bad news, our second point, and that's this, that joy is not for everyone. Joy is not for everyone. See, the the Magi sought out Jesus from afar, and ultimately they responded with joy when they found him and worshipped him. But what was Herod and the religious leaders' response? Do you remember that? Back in verse 3 of chapter 2, when it's talking about them, he says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. In some uh, translations, it says that he was greatly troubled. So, So why is this? If this good news, if the gospel is good news for everybody, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, all can come and pursue Jesus. Everyone can come to worship at the feet of our Lord and our King. Why is it that some people find joy and some people find trouble? I think that the difference is How do we respond? How do we respond? You see, the scholars knew exactly where Christ was to be born. Uh, They uh, they knew all of the Old Testament scriptures. They, They had this at their fingertips, and yet Herod and all Jerusalem responded to the news by being troubled. In spite of all of their knowledge, in spite of all their prestige, in spite of all of their traditions, they missed out on joy. Because unlike the Magi, they weren't looking for Jesus. They could have. Bethlehem's not too far, it's just down the road. Why didn't they go with the Magi? But instead, they missed out on joy. And so I've got to ask this question to us, church. Are we, are we at risk of missing out on joy? Maybe, maybe the better question is this. Are we really looking for Jesus? Is that really our pursuit? See, it's not just that we want to find joy, that we want to find happiness. Our desire, as we said, that's not our problem. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in one of his famous books, Weight of Glory, he says this, and you've probably heard this quote before. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. For we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. It's not that our desires are wrong. It's that sometimes we're just simply looking in the wrong place. In John chapter 16, He's speaking to his disciples, and he knows that he's just hours away from the end of his life. And so as he's giving his last instructions and the last prayer and his his last encouragements to his disciples, he's talking to them about the end of his life and how he's going to go away, but he'll come back, and he encourages them with these words in chapter 16, starting in verse 20. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. 
and you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. See, joy is found in finding Jesus. Now, there is a lot that can take our eyes off of focus, right, church? There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things going on, especially during this season. There's, there's holiday parties, and there's decorations, and there's food, and there's presents, and, and so many things that can divert our attention, that can take our eyes off of Jesus. We can spend all of our time on family stuff, on religious traditions, on whatever it may be. We can hope in material stuff, or we can search for power and prestige, or personal pleasure, whatever your pursuit may be. But what a shame it would be to build a kingdom and miss the king. What are you pursuing, church? And I hope that in this next season, in these next few weeks, I can simply encourage you, in spite of all the other things that are going on, can you pursue Christ? Look to him, make him your purpose, make him your most important desire. Set him above all things. And so church, if you want to find joy, look for Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that in spite of whatever else may be going on in our lives, God, whatever else may be happening, we can still find joy no matter what the circumstances because we have eternal hope set in you. God, thank you for your love for us. God, may we set all things else aside in this world and pursue you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, church, I don't know where you are at in your life right now. I don't know if you're struggling to find joy, and I recognize that sometimes for some of us it can be hard. Christmas doesn't always bring out the same response from everybody, but may I encourage you to pursue Jesus. After we're done here in just a moment, if you want to talk with somebody, there'll be people up here who would love to talk with you, pray with you, whatever it is that you need. We'd love to do that. For the rest of you, Go forth from this place and be people who are filled with joy because of the hope that we have in Christ. We love you guys. God bless, and we'll see you back next Sunday.